Hey, I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. And has anyone seen my files? I think someone stole my files. Dots? I'm looking at you. Well, allegedly. On today's episode, Fan Expo is coming to Toronto, and so a lot of big stars will be here. And I wanted to play a little game with you. This is a voice actor she played up until very recently, a well-known character from a long-running cartoon. Can you guess who? Based on this clip. I learned how to pronounce Toronto properly. I worked hard. It's hard not to say Toronto as a New Yorker. I'm impressed. Also, what the heck is going on with the Raptors? Are they stealing from the Knicks? Plus, speaking of the Raps, they've been around for nearly three decades, which is weird because I still think of the team as new. You'll get the history behind their formation and induction into the NBA. That's all coming up on Today in T.O. Did you know that Fan Expo is the largest comics, sci-fi, horror, anime, and gaming event in Canada? And the third largest in North America. It's basically a celebration of all things pop culture, and it's all going down at the Metro Toronto Convention Center from August 24th to the 27th. That's this weekend, depending on where you are in the continuum of time. A lot of cool people are at these types of events. People behind your favorite shows, movies, games, and comics. There are workshops, panels. You can shop and dress up. There are elements of fantasy, action, and nostalgia all under one big roof. It's kind of wild to think that one event could have so many different characters. But that's normal for someone like Sarah Natacheni. She is but one person, and yet she plays many different roles. If you're not familiar with the name Sarah Natacheni, you may recognize her voice from video games, commercials, and podcasts. Oh, and there's something else you might know her from. For the past 17 years, Sarah has been the voice of Ash Ketchum, on Pokemon. She'll be in Toronto for Fan Expo, and it'll be her first visit to the city. But as someone who splits their time between New York and LA, I think she'll do just fine. I had the pleasure of chatting with Sarah ahead of Fan Expo, and I wanted to know, when you got the role of Ash Ketchum at the age of 18, did you know just how big of a thing it would become at the time no because i was so i was so focused on becoming an actor and i was so f- very focused on doing on camera and like how big something was wasn't really something that i was thinking about i was just like i was looking for roles i was like i just want to do the coolest roles um that really speak to my heart and then this came up and i'm like oh that's huge cool um but it didn't occur to I, I guess I didn't really think about it like in terms of it being like really, really big. And it didn't really hit me how big it actually was until about 10 years later when Pokemon Go came out. That's when it was like, oh, my God, this is massive. Just how big would this be? Well, Sarah's been the voice of Ash Ketchum and more than 20 other Pokemon characters for 17 years. That came to an end when Ash became an official world champion, fulfilling his lifelong ambition with his little buddy Pikachu. And so I was curious if Sarah remembers being told, you got the role. 
I've actually like been looking through my emails to to try to jog my memory on that because I remember the audition process. I remember I remember the first audition. The first audition was like traumatic because I I'm so Ash Ketchum of me. I forgot I wasn't late, but I forgot that until that day that I had this audition, I had to like flip an at a glance calendar, and I hadn't done that. And the audition was on a Monday, so you flip it on Sunday night. Um, I flipped it on Monday morning, and there it was. So I prepared that morning and then I ran over and they kept me there for half an hour and I thought I was terrible and I left crying and after that everything is kind of a blur. I can't believe that this happened. I do see an email where it's like they would like to confirm you um, and I'm sure at that moment I was I was like, oh, okay, okay, great, great, great. But you, do, you don't have a job until, until it airs. Um, just recording it was, you know, exciting, but I didn't want to get too excited because I even knew at at, at, 80, at age 18 that just because you're recording it doesn't mean that they're going to keep you. But they kept her. And the part has spanned more than 750 episodes as well as 20 Pokemon movies. And if you didn't know, Sarah looks nothing like a 10-year-old anime character. So do you get recognized like ordering at a drive through or in the back of an Uber? Sometimes it happens. Um, it, it both ways happen. Sometimes people are like, "Wait, wait a sec!" Like it happened at a pharmacy. I remember during COVID, somebody like saw my name and they were like, "I are you, I'm sorry." <laughs> um, and it, it happens in random places. Um, yeah, it's 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 surreal. It's kind of weird, but it's 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 fun, you know. So it's always a great interaction. So sometimes there are moments where where it's like a Dina who I am moment because I can tell that somebody's like a huge Pokemon fan, and I'm like, I could make this person's day right now if I just told them who I was. And ninety um, percent of the time, it's 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 very rewarding to do that. And then ten percent, they're like, okay. What about meeting fans and exchanging autographs? Ever had an encounter with anyone who you were a fan of who turned out to be a fan of you? Oh my goodness! Um, I've exchanged autographs with a with a fair amount of people at this point. Oh my god! I don't know, and I'm like your mind just goes for the recent thing, and I'm like, I don't remember. That's a really good question. Oh, Christopher Lloyd. I exchanged autographs with Christopher Lloyd. I signed something for for a young person in his life. It's the most beautiful part of the job. It's like, it's literally, it's my greatest joy when that happens. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be Christopher Lloyd. It could just be a random person on the street. It always it always feels equally amazing to hear that somebody's a huge fan of my work and has my, has my voice laid. They're like, I hear your voice in my house every day. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know whether to say I'm sorry or not, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Okay, now as someone who also uses their voice in their job, I was curious if Sarah ever gets weirded out by hearing her own voice, and if so, how do you deal with it? Eh, you don't. I don't know. You did? You dealt with it? I don't really deal with it. Sometimes I hear myself and I'm like, ah, I shouldn't go up there. That's not a good sound for me. My character voices, I, I enjoy. But then when I like hear myself in a video or something, I'm like, oh, I should have I paid more attention. It's, it's always self-criticism. And I'm really good at that. <laughs> when I get weirded out, I just pretend my voice is literally someone else. Oh, her? Yeah, that's just the way she sounds. And when it comes to favorite Pokemon, I knew that Sarah Natacheni's favorite character to voice was Baneri. Fave of all time? Pikachu, of course. And fun fact, that's also the name of her cat. But does she have a least 
favorite Pokemon? No, people ask me this. I don't know. I love them all. They're my babies. And I've thought about this. I'm like looking around. I'm like, oh, that one's kind of weird. But no, they've all got their charm. What's your dream job? Ooh, uh, actually what I'm working on now uh, to do a, a live action film, a feature about a voice actor who loses her job after 20 years. I wonder if that's about someone she knows. And now let's get a little more serious here. Pokemon is all fun and games until your character retires. And while voice work can be fun and exciting and lucrative, it can also be quite difficult and precarious. And with all that's going on right now with the actors and writers strike in the U.S., how do you deal with the hard parts, the day-to-day, and the rejection that comes with being in this industry? Yeah, it's hard. We're all dealing with it in different ways. Um, thankfully, I have not done anything unhealthy yet. Um, it's it's a tough business. Look, when, when I went into this business, I saw how tough it was. And now I see what all my friends do and what everybody in my family does. And I take a bit, look back at myself and my own life. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I did it right. I'm For my personality, for what I'm doing, this is exactly what I should be doing. So as long as you keep reminding yourself of that and, of course, being grateful for what you do have, I'm obviously in a wonderful position and I've been able to do something for 17 years and people love it. So I, I do have a lot of love in my life and a lot of um, gratitude from fans. And I'm, I can't really complain about my position in this business. I've been so, so lucky. So, um, But yeah, the day-to-day is really scary. The day-to-day of, you know, figuring out what's next and the meetings and all of this. Uh, that's really, it's hard. It's scary, but it's worth it. Because the payoff in the end, as I've experienced it, I, I experienced it at an early age, the payoff um, for that sacrifice is, it can be amazing. You have to remember why you're doing this. You have to remember that you're a creative person. And it's not just acting. It's painting. It's writing. It's, you know, making films. It's making iPhone videos, you know, getting, being influencer-y or, you know, making online videos and stuff like that. That's Those are all wonderful outlets. And then we have more outlets now than ever before. So... Sitting around and sulking is um, not no longer it's no longer the top of the menu. There are so many ways to express yourself and put it online and and benefit from it now. Like I don't know any casting directors who are like, don't do that, don't put yourself online. There's no one saying that anymore. And just because something is ending doesn't mean something else isn't beginning. Actually, I have like this renewed involvement that I've created for myself. I went to Pokemon World Championships just now and had such a great time. And I have like judges playing the card game with me. And, you know, I'm like rooting for kids. It's It's been really wonderful, actually. Um, but yeah, I don't see myself detaching from from all aspects of the brand uh, completely in, in the near future. I love Pokemon. You know, it's such a huge part of my life as, as a fan at 10 years old and as somebody who worked on it for 17 years, it's, it is a huge part of my life. And um, I know there are so many fans out there who are still excited about the show and about Ash and about the nostalgia of all that. So I'm here, you know. She is here, or she will be here, at Fan Expo on this weekend, August 24th to the 27th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. That again was Sarah Natacheni, the longtime voice of Pokemon's Ash Ketchum. Still to come... This sounds like the plot of a movie, but the raptors are being accused of using a mole to steal confidential information from the New York Knicks? You'll get the scoop on that after this. 
necessarily think this would be a case for Law & Order Toronto, criminal intent, but it's a weird one, that's for sure. The New York Knicks have sued the Toronto Raptors and several members of their organization, including a former Knicks employee, for allegedly stealing proprietary information. The Knicks filed the lawsuit on Monday, alleging that ex-Knicks employee Ike Zotem illegally took thousands of proprietary files with him to his new position with the Raptors. Now, according to the report, the material taken includes a prep book for the 2022-23 season, play frequency reports, and video scouting files. Here's Eric Corrine lead Raptors writer for The Athletic. So the allegations are essentially that a former Knicks employee who was, you know, video coordinating uh, and analytics uh, were, were his departments over the last little while. He is accused of taking proprietary information, so sort of scouting reports, uh, details about other teams, about how the Knicks might have played other teams uh, from their private uh, from the Knicks' private uh, accounts and, and through a system, uh, an online database called Synergy Sports, which a lot of teams, and, and even not teams, I, I used to have a Synergy <laughs> account, uh, used to track plays and track data. And the second part of the uh, allegations is that uh, the employee, who the Raptors, it should be noted, noted haven't announced they have they had hired before this, Aichuku Azotam gave the information to the Raptors at the request of members of the Raptors organization, most notably new head coach uh, Darko Ryakovich. It's not clear how the Knicks uh, know that uh, or believe to uh, be able to prove that the Raptors themselves made that request, but that's the heart of the the suit. So the lawsuit is against the Raptors and their parent company, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, but also... Darko Ryakovich, the head coach, a player development coach, Noah Lewis, and John Doe's 1 through 10, who are, and I'm quoting from the lawsuit here, currently unknown Raptors employees who obtained Nick's proprietary information. Uh Aha. So what has been the response from the team? What has MLSE said? So not much. Uh, They came out and basically said that the Knicks informed them of this, uh, their accusations on Thursday. Uh, They had no idea that a lawsuit was going to be, uh, was going to be filed in New York, certainly not on Monday, uh, leaving one business day in between. Uh, They say that the company denies any wrongdoing whether the company includes, you know, any member of the Raptors organization, I took it to mean that strictly Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment denies any wrongdoing, but mm-hmm. there's many ways to read that. And they said they wouldn't be commenting until the matter was rectified to the satisfaction of both parties. Quite a shocking scenario. And as Eric points out, the timing of all of this is quite jarring as well. Upon Ryakovich's hiring, which was nailed down in June, they sort of started to woo uh, Azotam, that Azotam let the Knicks know that uh, that he had received an offer from the Raptors in late July, and uh, that the suit also says that Azotam was transferring information from his Knicks email to his new Raptors email as recently as I believe it was August 11th, but we're talking in the last two weeks. This, you know, this stuff is still going on, certainly. So 
uh, it's all fairly recent, like almost jarringly recent, knowing how slowly the legal process seems to move uh, at times. Speaking of the Raptors, I still consider them to be a little baby team, but they've been in the NBA for nearly three decades. With more on how they got into formation and joined the league, here's producer Glenn Bergonier. And to many Torontonians, the Raptors are and have always been the best team in the league. But did you know they actually didn't join the NBA until the 1995-1996 season? In fact, we actually had a team in Toronto before we even had the Raptors. They were in a league that predated the NBA that was known as the Basketball Association of America, or the BAA. And the team was the Toronto Huskies. In fact, they played just about 50 years before the Toronto Raptors were even incepted. The first game played by the Toronto Huskies was on November 1st in 1946 at the Maple Leaf Gardens against the team in New York, which was the Knickerbockers. But we lost to New York in that first game, 68-66. to And no, it's, it's not a great start, but we're going to keep on muscling through. In fact, the start wasn't the only problem the Huskies had. They actually had a pretty bad season with low attendance and all in all held a pretty shameful record in the 46-47 season with only 22 wins and 38 losses, placing them in last place in the East Division League, which led the team to being folded and leaving Toronto without a home team for nearly 50 years. Shortly after, the Basketball Association of America, the BAA, merged with the National Basketball League, the NBL, to form what we now know as the National Basketball Association, the NBA, in 1949. And Toronto, sadly, still without a team. But just a fun little historical fact for everybody listening about basketball, all the players in the NBA were all white until October 31st in 1950, when Earl Lloyd, the first black man in the league, joined the Washington Capitals. Now, let's jump back to Toronto. It wasn't until the spring of 1993 that members of the Professional Basketball Franchise Incorporated, which was Canadian, formally applied to acquire an NBA team. And in September of 1993, the NBA Expansion Committee conditionally awarded a franchise to the City of Toronto for the 1995-1996 season. Now here's where things get fun. It came down to the naming, which Surprise, surprise, the league actually left up to the fans. There were 10 options for the fans to choose from. So just remember, we became the Toronto Raptors, but we were this close to being the Toronto Beavers, the Toronto Bobcats, the Toronto Dragons, the Toronto Grizzlies, the Toronto Hogs, Toronto Scorpions, the Toronto T-Rex, the Toronto Tarantulas, and somehow the Toronto Terriers. Luckily, we stuck with the Raptors. And then on May 15th in 1994, the name was officially selected as the Toronto Raptors, and just a few days later, granted it was heavily influenced by the massive success of the blockbuster Jurassic Park, the iconic Raptors logo was unveiled with the angry mean mug and Raptor dribbling a basketball. Then in 1995, the Toronto Raptors entered their very first NBA draft, and on their seventh overall picked, secured Damon Stoudemire, who would later rise to be the first of many faces to lead this team. Now let's do a little bit of quick fast forwarding. There was the era of Muggsy Bones, the contentious Vince Carter era, the We the North rebranding and the triumphant and famous game-winning shot by Kawhi Leonard. The Toronto Raptors have not only grown into international fame and recognition, 
but have also risen up to be the most valuable franchise throughout all of Canada, regardless of the sport. Now, if that tells you anything, that ultimately proves that in Toronto, not only are we the North, but we will also never let these Raptors go extinct. Do you remember when people were throwing out names for the team back in 1994? At the time, I thought Tyrannosaurus Rex was the most innovative thing I'd ever heard and thought for sure, that's got to be the team's name. I was wrong. But at least it wasn't the Terriers. This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. We'll be back with a fresh episode next week, so make sure you're following so that when it's ready, you're ready. Till next time, have a sweet week. Bye. Bye.